One call has the power to change our life forever. It can transform us from the inside out and lead us into a new future. Whether or not we answer the call is up to us. God calls each of us to something greater than ourselves. We're called to impact our world with the message and love of Jesus Christ. Equipping us all with gifts and talents, God gives us the tools necessary to accomplish his will. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Hearing God's voice can be challenging. It doesn't always come as a loud ring, but it can come as a whisper. Even when we don't feel God is speaking to us, he's there. Be the change you wish to see in the world. This statement is true, but an even greater truth is, be the change that God calls you to be in the world. Will you answer the call? Will you answer the call? What will be your response? As we just sang a song ago, we sang, My whole life is yours. I give it all. Surrender to your name, and I will forever pray. Have your way. Have your way. We just sang that song. But how many of us are truly making that our prayer? When that phone call comes from God, when God calls you to do something, are you going to click accept? Are you going to click reject? Are you going to let the phone ring? Are you going to take it off the hook so you don't even even have to hear God call you anymore? What is going to be your response? Many of us think that God can't be calling me. No, he can't be calling me to do anything. I mean, I... I'm not qualified to do anything. I am not qualified to do anything for God. And that is a lie. And unfortunately, so many of us buy into that lie that we are not qualified. But when we take a look at the Bible, we will see a whole list of people who weren't really qualified to do the job, but yet God called them anyways. We can take a look in the Old Testament, in the life of Moses. God said, Moses, I want you to go and I want you to speak to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him to let my people go. And Moses said, me? Me? I don't know how to talk. I have a stutter and you want me to go and tell Pharaoh this? He said, yes, I want you to go because I want my people to be let go. Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. Somebody we would look at today and be like, God can't use her. Look at that person. But yet, God said, Rahab, when these people come to the city, I want you to help hide them. And that's exactly what she did. A lot of people thought Timothy was too young. I love this verse. And uh, first, first Timothy 4.12, I believe it is. Paul's writing a letter to Timothy. Paul's writing a letter to Timothy, and Timothy was awful young to be doing God's work. And he said this, Timothy, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young, but be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in the way you love, your faith, and your purity. 
just because you are young, you can still do something for God. What about Abraham? God called Abraham at 90 and said, I am going to bless you and multiply the earth because of you. And Abraham said, no, no way. I am 90 years old. God said, listen, I am calling you, Abraham. Gideon. Gideon was a mighty warrior, but when God called him, Gideon said, me, God, no, no, I can't lead that army. My tribe is the least, and I am the weakest in my family. And God said, Gideon, I want you. He said, all right, if you want me, prove it, God. And and sometimes we do this. We want God to prove. And Gideon said, all right, God, so here's what I'm going to do. I am going to lay a fleece out. And in the morning, I want the fleece to be all wet and the ground be dry. The next morning, Gideon woke up. He went and checked that fleece, and it was soaking wet, and he wrung out a whole bowl of water. He said, all right, God. Okay, maybe you want me. But you know what, God? I want you to prove again. So the next day he said, God, tomorrow morning I want the ground to be wet and the fleece to be dry. Woke up the next morning, and that's exactly what happened. God said, Gideon, listen to me. I am calling you to lead this people. Peter. Peter lacked self-control. But he's also like us. Peter had a lack of faith a lot of the time. And yet God still used Peter. What about Mary, the mother of Jesus? Just a teenage girl, called at such a young age, but yet she was still used by God to do something amazing. God's army isn't perfect. We call it the march of the unqualified. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for being able to gather here together to worship you, to look to you for guidance. I ask now, Father, in these next few moments, just speak through me. Just put your hand down upon me and let me be used as a vessel for you. In your heavenly name, amen. Here's what we something we were taught as, a, as children. Here is the church. Here is the steeple. We open the door and we see all the people. But the church isn't an address and it's not made of stone. It's a family of faith that calls Christ its home. An eternal bond forged by his blood. In the Bible it says we are united as one. Some are the hands and some of us are the feet. All working together for needs we can meet. One in our purpose and one in our mission, the body of Christ plagued with tunnel vision to tell of his glory and death that he died to share of the one Christ crucified. So here is the church, but there isn't no steeple because the church is the body and the body is the people. Go ahead and turn to Hebrews 10. We've got a lot of scripture we're going to cover today, so I hope, I hope your fingers are ready to go flipping. Um, as you'll notice, most of the time, I don't, I don't flip in my Bible. I have my, my scripture up here. I'm always afraid that I'm going to turn to the wrong scripture or it's going to take me too long. So if I get to there before you do, I am sorry for that, but I've got all my scripture in front of me. 
Some people say, some people even though they're Christians, they say, you know, I don't need to go to church. You know, I haven't really found a church that I like yet. Well, Sunday is my only day off. You know, I work all week. Saturday I have stuff to do around the house. You know, I, I don't really need church. But here's the fact. If you really, truly love God, you will love his people that are sitting in the church and you will long to be with them. The Bible just doesn't suggest we go to church. It commands that we go to church. And even more, it commands us to be a functioning part of the church. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, it says this, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much as you see the day approaching. Now I'm going to reread that scripture out of a different translation. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. And here's what it says. It says, Think of ways to encourage one another to outburst of love and good deeds. And let us not neglect meeting together as some do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back is drawing near. The Bible doesn't say, don't forsake the assembling together unless Sunday is your only day off. Or unless you want to run in a triathlon. Or unless it's really nice out and it's a great beach day. In which case, you're excused because, you know, you don't need church as much as those other people. So you can go ahead and take, you know, a few weeks off. I'm not saying you're not allowed to ever miss church. Coming together and being with your family and taking a vacation, that is perfectly fine. You know, me and my wife and my in-laws and Johnny and Jody, we take Mother's Day every year and we go up to Cedar Point. And we are not in church that day. But it's not like we're missing three weeks in a row. That's what I'm saying here. You know, vacations are fine, but God still calls us to come together. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the organization of church, but more importantly, you as the organism. Studies show that if you don't go to church for a whole month, the odds are almost two to one that you won't go for almost a whole year. Being a vital an active part in the church is something we need to pass on to the next generation. If we aren't teaching the next generation how to serve, then in 30 years from now, there won't be a church and it won't be relevant anymore because we didn't pass anything down. A study also disclosed this, that if both mom and dad attend church regularly and are active in it, 72% of their children are faithful in attendance. If only dad attends and is actively involved, then only 55% of the children remain faithful. It goes down from there. If only mom attends and is actively involved, only 15% of their children will remain faithful. And if neither mom or dad are attend regularly or serve in the church, only 6% of children will remain 
faithful in the church and serve. Again, church, if we keep going the way that we are, 30 years from now, there won't even be a building like this. And it's sad. We are the church. We are called together and to be a functioning part of this body. Pastor read this verse this morning in Isaiah 6, 8. It says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And then Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. And that should be each and every one of our responses. When we feel that tug of God, when we hear God saying, I want you to do this, we should be like, all right, God, send me. In the mid to late 80s and early 90s, there was a popular song that was sung at a lot of mission conferences. And the chorus is very simple. It says, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. I will serve you faithfully. Here am I, Lord. Send me. I think too many people are afraid to make that their cry and their prayer because they're afraid. Like Pastor said, what, I'm going to have to go to Africa? I don't like snakes. I don't like spiders. No, no, I'm not praying that prayer. But it's not always that. God's not always saying, I'm going to send you to another country. He may be saying, I want you to serve right where you are, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your family. All I want you to do is surrender. A popular verse, and I didn't even realize it when I put this in here, but we have it on the back wall there. A lot of people have hanging in their house, Joshua twenty four fifteen. The beginning part says this, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, one version, I really like the wording, it said, if it seems undesirable for you to serve the Lord, then choose whom this day you will serve. Joshua saying, I need you guys, the people that are with me, to choose. Are you going to serve the gods of your fathers served? What about this? Are you going to serve the gods of Sunday football every week here when it comes up in September and miss because, hey, football's on, i got to get ready. Are you going to serve the god of hey? It's been nice for the past three weeks, and I've been out on my bike. Oh, man, what God are you going to serve? And Joshua says this, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Here's the sad fact. Even though a lot of people have that verse hanging in their house, or they say that, it's not really their prayer. Maybe we should make plaques up and reword it so people don't have to look at that and feel guilty. Maybe it should say, as for me and my house, we will go to church on Sundays most of the time. As for me and my house, we will come and we'll sit in these cushy pews in this air condition. But as soon as church over, we're out the door because I got to get to the restaurant before it gets full. We have a lot of people in this church who serve. And the statistics in most churches are that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Here's the fact. Everybody here is needed. You are all called here to do something. Right? I mean, altar call right now. Some of this 
Some of this might hurt your feelings, but here's the truth. And I even told Pastor yesterday, I, you know, this is a hard thing for me to preach because I'm a people pleaser. I don't want to come in and offend people and upset people. But something I heard earlier this week was a pastor said, being a people pleaser is a form of idolatry. Because you're too worried about other people's feelings instead of what God said. And I said, God, I am your vessel. Use me. And this is what God has placed on my heart today. And if you're offended by this, because I'm telling you, you need to step up and serve. That's not my point today. My point is not to hurt you. It's to let you know that you are needed here in this church. God has placed a calling upon each and every Christian. Go ahead and turn to 1 Peter 2. Christianity Today put out an article, Three Reasons Why People Are Not Involved in the Church. And I'm going to tell you, I am just as guilty as other people. Some of these reasons have definitely applied to me. And sometimes these reasons have stopped me from doing things in the church. Three reasons. Reason number one, some people feel useless. Again, like I said, they feel they are not qualified. Man, you don't believe how many times I think that when pastor asks me to preach. And I think all the time, I am not qualified. And I do that because I judge myself based on other pastors. I look at other pastors and I watch these other pastors. I'm like, wow, that pastor didn't even have notes. He's just up there preaching. And here I am with my iPad with all my notes and everything. And I'm like, oh, man, I can't, I can't, I got to keep them there. And I see these, and I'm like, I'm not qualified like that pastor. They, they have their Bible up there and they just walk around and it, it just comes to them. And I feel useless sometimes. And I know you do. Maybe you feel useless because you're like, you know, look at my life. Look at all these imperfections. Well, we value imperfections as a necessary ingredient to be used by God. I'm going to say that again. Here at New Hope, we value imperfections as a necessary ingredient to be used by God. So what I am saying is, oh, you're on your second marriage? Come on in. We can use you. Oh, you're messed up and you deal with depression? That's okay. We'll help you heal and we can use you. You're a recovering alcoholic? Don't worry. Come on. We got a place for you to serve. Everybody can be used by God. Going to the Bible. 1 Peter 4 verses 10 and 11 says this. As each has received a gift. As each Christian has received a gift. Use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one speaks of oracles. Whoever serves as one serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be all glory and dominion forever and ever. Again, out of another translation it says this. Verse 10 there. Out of the NLT, it says, God has given each of you a gift in his variety of spiritual gifts. It didn't say, well, you know, some of you can serve. Some of you are better than others. No, he said, each of you has a variety of gifts. And I want you to use them to serve one another. Not 
Use them so you can be served. Use them to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking or preaching? Then preach and speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do, if you use your gifts to preach, to teach, to sing in the praise team, to help out others, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. You are not useless. Don't let Satan tell you that. It's a lie. You are valuable. You are important. And we need you here. The second reason why some people don't serve in church, some people are hurting. Maybe you were at a church and the leadership didn't handle a situation with love and grace. You were in a position and they said, hey, listen, stop that right now. Instead of saying, hey, instead of doing it like this, how about you do it like this? They handled it the wrong way. Some people get hurt that way. This is a reason why many people say they don't come to church at all. Because of the hypocrites in the church. It's true. The church is full of hypocrites. We're full of sinners. We're messed up people. But you know what? We come to church because we know God loves us and he can change us. Maybe some people say, we know... I was hurt at my last church, and I'm just going to be a pew sitter because if I help out, I don't want somebody else to get hurt, and then I'm going to get blamed. If I'm part of the ministry team, people are going to look to me when something goes wrong, and I don't want that. Well, here's the thing. If you were hurt in the church, you were hurt by an organism. You were hurt by a person. Not the whole body of Christ. And the only way to heal that wound, besides God healing it, is another organism helping you to heal. Stop blaming other people. Step up and say, yes, they hurt me, but I am not going to let that decide my fate. Because I was hurt somewhere else, I'm going to step in and help other people not get hurt. That is why I'm going to step in and do what God called me to do. This next point, why people don't help out in the church. This one hit me because I've been this way. And some of you might want to just pick up your feet because your toes are going to get stepped on. Some people are just plain lazy. That's why they don't help out in the church. We're just going to be honest. Some people want all the benefits without doing nothing. In James 2 it says, your faith without works is dead. Now, a lot of people get this misconstrued in the faith. They say, see, you have to work in order to go to heaven. No, that's not what it's saying. It said, because I see your good works, that proves your faith. I'm going to say it another way. Your faith and belief in God without you stepping in, helping out, and being a part of the functioning body of Christ is worthless. You can memorize all the scripture you want. I was watching this thing. Uh, last week, and it was this uh, Christian cinema challenge, and it was kids, you know, memorizing verses and quoting how much they know about the Bible. And these kids, when they go into this, they have over 800 verses memorized. You can have 800 verses memorized, and you can know the whole Bible 
But unless you put it into practice, it's useless. Even Satan himself believes that there is a God because he knows. Even the demons know some of the scripture. That way they can twist it against you. But that doesn't mean that they are putting it into practice. In Revelation, it says this, For you are either neither hot or cold, but if you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. And so many people, so many Christians in the church today, that's what they are. They are just lukewarm. They come in, they warm up that pew, then out the door they go. They don't put anything into practice. They'll go into church the next day. Oh, man, my preacher, he preached such a good sermon. Oh, what did he preach on? I don't know, but it was good. Because you didn't put it into practice. Well, you know, Sunday's my only day off, and I just want to relax. You don't think that me and Pastor just want to come in here some Sundays and just relax? You don't think we put a lot of work into this, and we don't want to just come in here and just sit down and be like, oh, I just want to take it all in. We do. But here's the fact. We knew when we surrendered our life into ministry, we knew that it was going to be hard work. But we knew the rewards were greater because of the people that were going to be impacted. Some people just don't want to serve. They want others to do all the work while they get all the benefits. People would rather be the object of the church's ministry than partner in it. Too many churches, too many members in the church, they maintain a me-first attitude. It's all about me. It's all what can I get from the church? What can that church give me instead of what can I give to that church? Here's the thing. Too many people, you know, the church is called to be the bride of Christ. But instead of making it the bride of Christ, too many people make it the hoe of Christ. We want to use it, but then when we're done with it, we say we toss it to the side. And then we come back, we're like, oh, what can I get from it now? No. The church is the bride of Christ. It's like a marriage. In your marriage, you are called to love your spouse. You are called to tend to their needs. Not just when you want to all the time. Not just when it benefits you all the time. Make the church the bride of Christ. Tend to its needs. It's like this. You know, people get mad. Well, why do we need to change the sanctuary? Why do we need to paint it? Hello, you upkeep your house, you paint your rooms in your house, don't you want your house to look nice? Well, this is our house that we come to every week, we want it to look nice. Well, why do we need TVs, and why do we need to spend money on that? Man, you go and buy a new phone every six months, and you don't want to help put money into God's house? How are we going to reach people if we're not making it look nice? How are we going to reach people... If the grass is two feet high, who's going to want to come into a building that looks like that? God says, this is my house. I have blessed you with this. Take care of it. It's easier to be a consumer than a collaborator. But that is not biblical. Churches need to make it more difficult for those who want to come and be lazy. People need to be challenged. Here's the thing about laziness. Laziness is contagious. It's a cancer, and it just kills everything. Five people sitting around, three people doing the work. Those three people are going to start to think, man, they're just sitting. 
I'm just going to start tiptoeing over here. And one by one, everybody moves over here and is doing nothing. And if it doesn't get corrected, churches will go with only a few working to nobody working and nobody involved in the ministry. All of God's people are called to the ministry. All of God's people are set on a mission. The only question is where and among whom. Charles Spurgeon said this, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. What name tag are you wearing? Does it say missionary or does it say fake? I want to add one more to the reason that Christianity put this article out. It's one that I came up with. People either didn't know they were wanted or didn't know there was an opportunity. And that is why some people don't serve. Well, I'm here to let you know we want you here. We want you in in church. We want you here on work days. We want your hands and feet being a part of this functioning body. And you are important. While sometimes I feel that it, that is a valid excuse, a valid point, that, well, I didn't know that there was this opportunity. I didn't know I was wanted. On the flip side, I also feel that it's a very lame excuse. It's just like people who come in and they're sitting down and they see, you know, somebody else. They're like, that person didn't come say hi to me this week. Why didn't that person come say hi? A few years ago, a pastor told me, we were talking, and he said, you know, there's a member who keeps telling me, Luke doesn't say hi to me on Sunday mornings. Well, if you've seen me on a Sunday morning... I think somebody described me as a bull in a china shop. I'm running all around. And maybe you could get up and go say hi yourself. Stop expecting somebody to come say hi to you. You're an adult. You can go say hi. You're an adult. You can step up and say, where can I be used? I want to be used in this church. We're not children. We're all adults here. You can take responsibility. Can't say, well, that church didn't ask me to help out at cleaning day. Really? We passed around a sign-up sheet for three weeks. You knew we were going to have it. Well, they didn't ask me to bring a dessert to the luncheon. Well, again, we passed around a sign-up sheet for three weeks because you were AWOL for the last month. You didn't even know it was happening. You know, we need you here. We want you here. Some people say, well, I just had a really rough week. We all had a rough week. We all have tough times. But we know we do what we got to do to get the word of the Lord out. Some people want a first class ticket to heaven, but they don't want to pay the price. Well, I am comfortable right where I am. I am comfortable just coming down, getting my worship on, and leaving. Well, here's the thing. A comfort garden is a beautiful place, but nothing ever grows there. How do you expect to grow if you're not putting forth the effort? That, that, that little seed, it has to put a lot of effort to get through that soil and to grow. Let's look at 
what 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 10 has to say. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted, the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So you are a living stone, chosen and precious in God's sight. You yourselves are like living stones and being a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in the scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whosoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So is the honor for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, that stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Can I just say, please don't be a stumbling stone to people. Please don't let people look at you and be like, that's a Christian? Why would I want to go to church if they're calling themselves a Christian? We need to make sure we are stepping stones and we are leading people to Christ. People can't see God. They don't see God in us. Verse 8 says, They stumble because they disobeyed the word, and they were detested to do so. Here's what I want to focus on, verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who are called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And again, I love looking at different translations, different versions of the Bible, the different wording. So 9 and 10, again, from the message says this. It says, but you, you Christians, are the chosen ones by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be holy people, God's instrument to do his work and speak out for him to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something from rejected to accepted. How many of you all felt rejected before? I have. But because of God's love, you are now accepted. If that's not a wonderful four, four word message right there from rejected to accepted. You have been accepted into the biggest and best family when you became a Christian. Maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online and you say, you know what? I I don't really think I am a Christian. I know a little bit about this church stuff, but maybe you've never truly put your faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe you're just playing this thing called church. You show up to make somebody else happy or you think, well, that's... Just what I have to do. I got to go to church. And maybe you don't truly know the love of God. Well, I want you to know if you have never truly accepted Christ. 
that there is a God who loves and cares for you so much. He is standing there with his arms wide open saying, run to me. I will accept you for who you are. And then, because I accepted for who you are, I want to show you what you can become. God will never force you to love him or choose him. But when you put your faith and fully trust in God, there is a sense of renewal and refreshment. Maybe you're broke down. The past two weeks, pastor talked about breakdown or breakthrough. Which one are you having as he spoke of David? Maybe you are in that place of ziklag and you are hiding and you don't know where to turn. Well, in Matthew, it says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If that is you today, if you have never put your full trust and faith in Christ, if you are watching online and you have never done that, I tell you, please do it today. He will renew you, he will refresh you, and he loves you. Don't just play church. Be the church. As we just read there in Peter that we are called, again, this is written from Peter, the disciple who Jesus called first. And you know, God accepts the misfit. The ones who have made mistakes. The ones who are messed up and unqualified. And how I know that, I can look at the life of Peter. Peter was one messed up dude. But he was used tremendously. Peter was the one in the storms like, oh man, there was a storm. God, I am coming out to you. Peter lacked faith a lot of times. Peter was a disciple who denied Jesus Three times, but then later God used him on the day of Pentecost. Peter's there. They're around the fire. They've just taken Jesus. Somebody's like, you, you were with him. He's like, no, that wasn't me. No. Somebody else comes up. Oh, yes, that's you. I have a picture. Pete, he's like, Pete's like, man, that picture is not me. Look how grainy that picture is. That picture is worse than the picture. People have a big foot. You can't prove that was me. Then a third time, somebody's like, yes, I seen you with him. Good old Pete, he's like, listen, I was not with him. I don't know that man. I would never be seen with him. And even though Peter denied Jesus again, he was the one who preached on the day of Pentecost where thousands of souls were accepted into the family of God. If God can use somebody like Peter, oh man, he can use you and he can use me. Matthew 16, check this out in Matthew 16, verses 13. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. So Peter, the first disciple, was called, and they're all having a big shindig. And here's what happens. When, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And some said, they said, Some say John the Baptist. Well, you know, others say Elijah. And some say, well, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. So before his name was Peter, his name was Simon. 
said, For your flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And I tell you now, your name is Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock will I build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind here on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Peter had a revelation of who God was. Some of us are praying for a miracle when we need to be praying for a revelation of who God is. Before you can receive that miracle, you need to realize who God is. You need to realize that he is the sustainer, that he is the life giver. He is all sufficient. So Jesus says to Peter, listen, because you recognized who I am, I'm going to build my church on you. He didn't gather the whole disciples around like, all right, we're going to have a church. No, he said, Peter, I chose you. And you are going to build the church, and you are going to disciple other people. Again, we want to look up how messed up Peter is. Jesus knew everything that Peter was going to do. He knew that he was going to cut that guard's ear off. He did, man, he's like, Pete, what did I tell you? Put that sword away. You are not good with that. Somebody's going to get their eye poked out. And he also knew this, that just a few verses over there in Matthew... Right after he tells Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. Jesus tells his disciples, listen, guys. That's true. I am the Messiah. And I am going to lay my life down. And I am going to be crucified. Good old Pete. He's like, Jesus, sidebar, come here. He goes, listen, Jesus, you are not going to put your life down. It says he started to rebuke him. Another word for rebuke would be to reprimand or scold. So Pete's like, listen, Jesus, you are not doing that. You are not laying your life down for somebody else. Jesus, if I have to die, I will put my life in the line. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You are trying to stop me from doing my Masonic duties. Peter was messed up. But if God can use Peter, he can use you and me. You're probably thinking, all right, come on, Pastor Luke. I know I can be used by God. But where does it say that I need to be working in the church? Come on. Is there really somewhere in the Bible that says I can, you know, should be doing something? Absolutely. James chapter 2. Turn to James chapter 2. So here it says we're going to start in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has, has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warmed and be filled without giving them things needed for the body which is good, what good is that? In verse 17, so also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But some will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith 
by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he ordered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness sake. And I hope I can say this. And he was called the friend of God. You see, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And the same was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, also faith apart from works is dead. Your faith has shown through your works. Each of us has been designed to do something great for the cause of Christ. Each of us has a certain gift that God has blessed us with to help build his kingdom. Go ahead and turn again. 1 Corinthians 12. This is where it's talking about the body coming together as the organization So each organism here comes together and we become the organization that we know as the church. 1 Corinthians 12, and starting in 12, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is Christ. For in one spirit we are all all baptized into one body, Jews or Greek, slave or free, and we were made to drink of one spirit. For if the body does not consist of one member, but many, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that it would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as is it, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, and he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts of the body, but many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker or indispensable And on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so compassed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members have the same care one for another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then the gifts of healing, helping, administering in various kind of tongues. All are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, Do all possess the gift of healing? 
Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Now I'm going to read verses, I'm going to quote verses 27 through 30 out of the NLMV. And that is the new Luke Miller version. So here's what it says. It says, now you are the church, the organization that I have sent forth to proclaim the gospel. And everyone, everyone who comes is important and can be used. God chose some to be pastors, some to be deacons, some to be treasurers, some to be teachers, some to be cleaners, some to be greeters, some to be ushers, and some people have the spirit of hospitality. Some people, they can mow really nice lines in the grass. Some people are prayer warriors. Some people can open and close the church. And he gave some the spirit of creativity. And everyone is welcome and can be used by God no matter how messed up you think you are. So you're still thinking, really? Well, I, I, don't, I don't know if you know, I'm really chosen. One more scripture before we close. Romans 10. I want you to know that you are important once again. You are loved and you are needed here. We want you here at New Hope and we need your help. Church is more than a meeting. Church is about being a community where we inspire each other do great things where deeper love is explored where enriching relationships secure where authentic living is the goal church is a community where individuals are cared for their gifts are used effectively and where people are challenged to grow beyond themselves like i said earlier many people may not be serving because they didn't know they were called they didn't know they were sent out I want you to know you are supposed to be a light in your community, a light at work, a light in your house, a light in your family. Romans 10, starting in verse 13, says this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how will, will they call on him on whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe on him? On who they have never heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Today, I am sending you. I am sending you out into your community. I am sending you in this church, though be a functioning part of this church so we can reach north hill we can reach the county we can reach ohio we can reach thousands of souls for christ when you surrender many of us are praying that god would tell us what to do while god is just waiting for us to move god is saying if i can just find one imperfect person that knows that these imperfections are cool. That these imperfections are what make me, me. If I can just find one person to be an organism and be an effective part of an organization. That is what I want. 
Well, we need to be saying everybody else can trip out tomorrow. You know what? I am going to be used by God where I am at. We need to be crying out, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord no matter what. God just wants one person that says, you know what? Yes, I know I'm messed up. I know I don't listen every time my wife asks me to do something. I know I don't listen every time my boss tells me to do something. Yes, I know, God, I have been addicted to pornography. Yes, I know I'm an alcoholic. Yes, I know I'm a habitual liar. But, God, I want to be used by you. Right now, at this moment, I want to be used. God, I am in your presence, and wherever you want, whatever you want me to say, whoever you want me to talk to, however you want me to serve, God, that's me. Give me a revelation of who you are and show me who you are. Change my thinking. Change my speech. Transform my mind. When you pray all that, God will do that. He says, when you pray all that, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. What about this? What would happen if you knew as a believer nothing you ever did in the name of God would fail? If you said, you know what, Pastor, I will step up and I will help teach one of the groups downstairs. Some of us are all just scared. We're like, man, I don't know how to teach kids. I might sound funny. I might sound stupid. But what if God gave you the promise that whatever you do, you will prosper at? What if he said, you know, I'm giving you the promise. No matter what darts the devil throws against you, you are going to prevail. How would you live then? The sad thing is, many of us would still live the same way. Even if we knew that if we decided to serve in the church, that it was going to prosper, we would still live the same way. God is so enthralled with seeing you complete your purpose. He wants to take your flaws and acknowledge that there's something greater living inside of you, and it's God. Imagine how your life would change if you're willing to say, my answer is yes. Anything, anywhere, anytime. How would it look then? If I can have the guys who said they would help me get this down. There's a, a bumper sticker, a popular bumper sticker, that says, God is my co-pilot. Many of us are sitting in the seat waiting for God to tell us where to go. If God is your co-pilot, he's telling you things need to change. You just don't need to be sitting in the passenger seat. What you need to do is you need to hand God the keys and say, God, I'm going to the trunk. I'm climbing in it. You take me where you want me. You can put that up here and then that one. There. You are needed at this church. Everyone here is needed. Everyone here is loved. And everyone is important.
There are so many different opportunities for you to serve at this church. So many different ways that you can be used. And again, many of us may not know how we can be used. Many of us may not think that we really can be used. But I want you to know that every single one of you has a gift and a purpose. When Pastor started this church, he decided the basis of this church is the Word of God. When you make it the Word of God, that's the foundation. If you don't have a firm foundation, it's going to sink, it's going to crash. Part of the functioning church are pastors who have surrendered to God, to His will, and said, I'll preach, I'll do it, I'll lead. Another part of the functioning church are deacons and trustees. People who have said, all right, I'll step up. I'll be a part of the board. I'll help lead. We have people who have decided to get up early while you are still sleeping. and said, I'll come and open up this church. I'll come make sure the lights are on. I'll make sure that it's all comfortable inside. We have people who close up the church and say, you know what? It doesn't matter if when I get to the restaurant, if I have to wait 45 minutes to get my seat. Because I'm making sure things are closed down at the church. And we start to build. And it starts to come together. Like, all right, well, what else can we do? We have people say, you know what? I'll be an usher in the church. I'll help lead people to their seats when we're full. I'll help collect the offering. We have people who use their creativity in the media department. I'll tell you this next one. This next one right here is really important to me. We have people who are willing to help set up and help tear down after church. Some of you know why it's important to me. There's a little three-year-old girl here that is so happy. Little Mackenzie, so happy to come in here and help me get those mics on stage. She knows after church, she knows we take them down. She knows exactly where the remotes are. She knows we got to take the cups of water, dump them out, take the cups back downstairs. That right there, that service, three-year-old girl is so meaningful in the church. She's learning how to serve at a young age. She's learning that she is important and that she can make a difference. We have people who use their gift of singing in the praise team and singing specials. We have people who use their landscaping abilities, again, to make 
the church look beautiful. We have people who teach, whether they are teaching the toddlers, whether they are teaching on a Sunday morning class, whether they have decided to help when they, women go away to Indian Bear, whether they teach at the men's Bible study, they said, God, I think I can prepare a lesson. I can do that. Or whether they serve in the nursery. We have people who stand at the door and make sure it's open for you. They get to hear the service. They don't get to enjoy it all the time. And when you put all this together, when you put all the people in place, it's starting to come together as a church. But there's still a gap. There's still a gap that needs filled. There's still a door missing. And here is the thing. You are the door. You are the piece that are missing in this church. And I want you to know that we want you here. We want you to fill the gap. So we can complete the picture. Again, my point isn't to make you feel guilty today. Like, well, I haven't been doing anything. My point is to let you know that you are important. And despite your flaws, you can be used. Father God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your gifts that you have given to us. We thank you that we can be used. Lead us, God. Let us know where you want us to be used. Let us know how we can serve in this church. We want to build a solid church that loves you. Let us be that doorway that can bring other people in. Let us be effective for you. Challenging you today to accept God's call, to not hit the reject button. We're going to go into a time of invitation. And this is a time where we are inviting you to answer God's call. Say, God, anywhere, anytime, anything you want me to do, I will do it because I love you and I love the body of